The views expressed in this program are those of the host and not necessarily those of WVUD or the University of Delaware. WVUD and UD Information Technologies present Campus Voices, conversations with University of Delaware faculty, staff, and students about their teaching, research, service projects, and other interests. To introduce today's guest, here's your host, Richard Gordon, manager of the IT Communication Group at the University of Delaware. Thank you, Jason. And joining us today on Campus Voices here on WVD are four members of the university's Engineers Without Borders chapter. Why don't you guys tell us who you are? Dara? Hi, I'm Dara Amin. I'm a senior mechanical engineering major. Hello, my name is Jonathan Perna, and I'm a junior chemical engineering major. Hi, my name is Mike Aurelia, and I'm a junior chemical engineer as well. Hi, my name is Eric Adonisio, and I'm also a junior chemical engineer. The university's Engineers Without Borders chapter has done trips to two different countries. Dara, you were a project leader in? Guatemala. And Mike? I was a project manager for the last Cameroon trip. Okay, so you guys have been off doing projects in Cameroon and Guatemala. What were you guys doing in Cameroon? Uh, So in Cameroon, we've been doing a potable water system where we have drilled three wells over the course of uh, seven years from 2007 to this year, and uh, that's 2013. And we've taken water from the ground, 50 meters underground, and pumped it up using solar-powered pumps to the surface where community has access to it at seven different locations throughout the community. And that's aided by a large reservoir at the center of the community from which the water flows out using gravity-fed distribution lines. So no pumps are required on the way down the hill. It it gets pumped up the hill into a reservoir? Yes, that is correct. And then how many different communities does it serve? So it actually serves four different communities, um, and each of those communities are led by a chief figure, and that those chief figures are all um, under the mayor of the community where we um, stay during our trips. How, how did you guys design it? I mean, did you did you guys actually design this, Erica, or did your professors, or what happened? The students of UWB have been designing each implementation session throughout the past several years. So we do have a lot of professors who help us. For example, um, Steve Hedges uh, with the IEC um, helped us design all of our solar aspects of this project. Um, we've had a lot of help from Dr. Dental in the environmental engineering department um, for the water. Um, and we've had help from many different people in the country with, uh, for example, the hydrological studies to determine where the level of the water table is and um, all kinds of different uh, design aspects of this project. But as Erica said, it is a lot of the students in the chapter who will uh, do the report writing and who will do the final designs for these projects, and then they will go and implement them in-country. Dara, what about the Guatemala trip? What did you guys do there? Um, Okay, so a little bit of of background on Guatemala. We started in 2008. Um, We were in contact with um, some Guatemalans in Georgetown, Delaware, and that's how we got connected to San Jose Pedacalapa in Guatemala. And we went down in 2009, January of 2009, and had our first contact. And they expressed that there was a huge need for a bridge across the River Vibora. 
And so what happens is this community has about 1,500 people, and they live on one side of the river, and their crops are on the other side of the river. So during the rainy season, they can't get to their crops, which really affects their economy and their quality of, quality of life because they can't harvest um, during the right time and whatnot. Um, so this wa- the water in the river gets up to their necks, and Guatemalans aren't very tall, so they're shorter than I am. And so for them, like the water does get up to their necks and to their heads, and usually the trucks don't can't cross it, the horses can't cross it, and they sometimes wade through it. But the water isn't clean, so they get diseases and stuff from it as well. Um, so they really needed a bridge, um, and so the EWB chapter decided that they'd build the community a bridge, and um, for the past three years, three, four years, um, the students and the professors, which um, one professor in key, Dr. Jane, has been helping us design um, the 60-foot-long concrete steel bridge that we were implemented this past, or two Januaries ago. So he helped us with, along with students um, and a couple grad students, one was Ben Burick and the other one was Kelly Ambrose. Um, so the two of them and undergraduates and Dr. Jane, we all designed um, the 60-foot-long concrete steel bridge, which we implemented in January of 2012 with the help of three different professional engineers, um, Rod Pirretti, uh, Gary Pirretti, and um, Ted Thompson. They all came down with us and helped us um, monitor the implementation process, which was about 26 days. We built a 60-foot-long concrete steel bridge for the Guatemalan community in 28 days with about 10 people from the University of Delaware, which included professional engineers, um, undergraduate students, a graduate, two graduate students, and about 80 Guatemalans. So it was an intense process. We woke up at like dawn and then left the site at dusk and it was just every day. Um, there were some times when we thought that we couldn't build a bridge because our excavation was filled with water and you can't build on top of a very um, soft surface. But we solved that problem and everything was great and we built them a bridge and we went back this January and it looks great. Um, oh, so you built in January of 2012 yeah. and you went back to assess how it was doing in January of 2013. Yes, we did one year assessment and the bridge is doing great. It's settled in. The community has taken ownership of it. They painted the railings. Um, This year we bought them a plaque. So the plaque now says like San Jose and EWB. Um, And then we put up a sign like with paint on the bridge. It just looks great. They love it. A lot of people walk over it. It's a one lane um, vehicle bridge. So uh, about it's designed for an F. Ford F-150, that's what it is. Um, but they don't drive Ford F-150s. They're a smaller truck, so they can use it. Um, we drove over it multiple times, so it's safe and sturdy. So it's this is this was it sounds like on your project, you guys collaborated with faculty and professional engineers um, in Guatemala. Now, did you guys end up being the ones lugging the concrete and the rebar and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, we got a lot of hands-on experience down in Guatemala. Um, there are three undergraduate students, myself included, uh, or four undergraduate students and myself included. Uh, we got to cut rebar. We got to mix concrete. We got to nail <laughs> hammer. We got to use a circular saw. We learned everything, basically. Um, we learned how formwork is done on a bridge. We learned how to re- read bridge drawings. And most of us, Three of us were mechanical engineers. One was an environmental engineer. So we did not have much civil engineering background. So it was a lot of learning for us. And also when you're in a developing country, um, it's not the same as um, 
getting going to Home Depot and getting all the supplies. But so they have a small market and their hardware stores are much smaller than anything that you'd find in the States. So it's really hard to find certain materials and we had to kind of troubleshoot and figure out other ways to um, put in rebar cages or like um, we didn't use ready-made concrete. So a truck didn't come in and pour the concrete. We mixed it in one cubic yard mixers. Um, and then one of our biggest days was the deck pour, which is about 40 cubic yards. And we did it in about five hours with only one little scare. Um, and that was just because the formwork was bulging. But we fixed it in five minutes and it kept going. It's great. So you laid the entire deck. bridge, the entire deck of the bridge in less than a day. Mm -hmm. Wow. It was an accomplishment. Well, it sounds like one of the advantages for students being in an Engineers Without Borders chapter is getting this kinds of hands-on experience um, would you agree with that, John? I would. Um, you know, Engineers Without Borders at the University of Delaware is a student chapter of a national organization that is all over the country. There's about 300 chapters. And so for students to be able to come in from their classes and learn these hands-on techniques and be able to solve these problems that they're not going to – they've never experienced in a classroom setting where, you know, you, you think something's going to go according to a plan, but then some issue comes up and you have to deal with that – so to be able to be a part of one of these travel teams is a, an amazing experience for students. Because it's be hands-on learning with, with – in the classrooms, you guys hear about all the theory. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, we have to know the theory to do the design work, but then there's a whole new element to it when you go, actually go to the country and have to implement what you designed. Yeah, and along with that, I think the cultural relationships and the cultural experience that we get by going to developing countries is another um, – huge benefit for the students because you learn a sense of communication and you learn about a different culture. Like both Cameroon and Guatemala, they work a lot differently than the United States. We come in and we're ready to work every day in and day out. Not every single culture is like that. Um, so it definitely opens up um, a whole new world of like just knowledge and like how other people in the world function. But sensitivity to how other cultures mm -hmm. work. In, in Cameroon, you have tribes with chiefs mm -hmm. down there. Yes. Erica, is that something you had to learn about? Uh, definitely. I know that I've been to Cameroon the past two Januarys, uh, January 2012 and January 2013, and we have to not only be able to implement our project, but also deal with the political aspect of having a mayor, but also having multiple chiefs who all want to be able to run the system. And I think we did a pretty good job in Cameroon of being able to manage that. Yeah, so it, it definitely is a, a great hands-on experience with both the cultural aspects and the problem-solving aspects um, that you get to experience outside of the classroom. Um, and you get to see all sides. Um, being able to walk the line kind of between doing what's the best technical design and what everybody wants is the job of an engineer. And Engineers Without Borders is the club that lets you see and walk that line as an undergraduate student. And I think that's an invaluable um, resource anybody could have. We're talking today on Campus Voices with four members of the University of Delaware's Engineers Without Border chapter. And if you go to our website, www.udel.edu slash campusvoices, you'll find we'll, we've got links to their blog and their website and the National Engineers Without Borders website. And joining me here today again are John Perna, Mike Aurelia, Dara Amin, Erica Adonisio. Did you have, in Cam on the Cameroon trip, did you have some of the same issues that Dara told us about, I mean, getting raw material in? Definitely. We 
fly into Yaoundé, which is the capital city of Cameroon, and that's where we do a lot of our shopping, or we try to. And then we take the four to six hour ride out to Bamanju, where the community is. And in Bamanju, there's this little tiny hardware store. But if we forget something in Yaoundé, we have to take at least an hour ride to Bafusam to f- try to find anything. And there's no Home Depot. There's <laughs> stores randomly everywhere that we somehow managed to find. <laughs> Yeah, another thing is the standards in the United States are much higher than in other parts of the world. So, for example, the Cameron Project utilizes a lot of plumbing implements. So to go to a store and buy a piece of plumbing in another country is very different than going to a store in the United States and buying that same piece of plumbing because the standards are much tighter in the United States. And you don't necessarily know that some fittings or some pipes are going to be the correct size when you buy them internationally. So did you guys have to do extra testing on on the pipes and that kind of thing than you would have if you were doing a similar thing in the States? Yeah, so EWB USA holds all of their chapters to the United States um, requirements and their standards. And so all of the chapters have to do the same kind of testing. So for the Cameroon project, we had to do pressure testing of all of our pipelines um, to make sure that they weren't leaking or anything like that. And um, we have to do everything to proper standards to make sure. It's really uh, interesting to see the ingenious methods that locals will come up with to avoid um, the use of materials that they don't have um, to make things the the proper way and to make them work greatly. Your water supply is safe. Yes. Yes. um, We we actually perform tests uh, almost every trip we go on to make sure um, that we have that. And we've seen decreases in the level of coliform bacteria in the water that actually have caused a lot of illnesses in the community in the past. And so we've checked with local hospital records and we've seen um, the incidence of that of those illnesses go down. Um, We've seen decreases in the level of absenteeism at the local school because children are not getting sick as much, their parents aren't getting sick as much, and so they don't have to stay at home as much to help to work for their family. Um, So before we went into the community, there was uh, a surface water source that the community was using to get their water, and it was very dirty, Uh, lots of runoff and dangerous diseases or parasites that were in that water. So this is just runoff from their farms and their cattle and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it would sort of be like a gigantic puddle that everyone used to get their water to, you know, drink, cook, clean. Everything came from that polluted water source. So for them to get clean groundwater from the water table just completely markedly cut sickness rates, absenteeism in the schools, and just brought a much higher quality of life to the community. What kinds of big changes, Dara, did you think the the people in Guatemala found from their bridge? Well, lucky enough, um, this monitoring trip that we went on in January 2013, we were able to survey a majority of the community um, through like a paper survey and we asked them a lot of questions about their land on the other side of the bridge. The biggest thing for them is they don't, their minimum or their full day's wage is $7, which is about our minimum wage, one hour minimum wage here in Delaware. So at most, most of the people that actually have jobs or can sell their goods in the city or in, in the city that's adjacent, which is Malakatan, will make about $7 a day, which is nothing. Um, so we were hoping that they would 
eventually buy more land on the other side or cultivate more land. And we were going around asking a majority of the men, because the men are more dominant in the community, and they have been cultivating more land. And they've been using the bridge daily. Um, They used to cross that river during the rainy season maybe once. Maybe they won't even go down there. And this year during the rainy season, they said they probably would go down there about three times a day. The women will be able to go down there and give their husband food while they're down in the milpa, which is their their land that they have, the cropped land. It's nice to see that, like, they're utilizing the bridge and that hopefully as this, like, start of um, new cultivated land will hopefully increase in the coming future, which will be in the next, like, three years. And they will eventually get more money and hopefully, like, higher their quality of life in in that town. And the beautiful thing is that this um, past January, we were able to witness the first woman on their um, government. So they have a mini government within the village and they have a comité, which is like, in, like, pro, like I think in charge of projects, like the projects in the community. And then they have the mayor's like um, group. And so there's two mayors and then there's the comité. And the first woman was inducted into their comité this um, past year. So we can see the community already growing um, even after the bridge was built. It was probably not a direct impact from us, but it's nice to see that the community is growing um, and to see that more people are using the bridge. And I think the elderly of the community are really, really affected by it because for them, it really makes a difference. Because um, I can then Go cross over. Yeah, exactly. And it's not just the fact that they can use a vehicle over the bridge. It's the fact that they can walk over the bridge. And that just makes a difference, a huge difference for them. Again, if you go to our show's website, www.udel.edu slash Campus Voices, and if you follow the link out to the University of Delaware Engineer Without Borders website, you'll see that there are pictures and you can actually see the bridge and you can see people walking on the bridge. And similarly, we can see this big blue dome um, down in Cameron, so you can actually see what the University of Delaware students have built. Tell me about how the solar impacted. I mean, I, that sounds fascinating to me. How did the these solar pumps work, and where did you get the solar material? Um, so all of these um, communities that we're working in, or the communities that we're working in in Cameroon, um, is actually off the grid. Uh, when we first arrived there, we did see power lines running through the community, but um, most of them were down um, and hadn't been re- repaired by anybody in what looked like a long time. Uh, we saw power lines that had been tied together, actually, in the hopes that um, tying the power lines together would transmit electricity you through mean them again. Tying them together. Uh, so not actually connecting the cable, but just if you imagine tying <laughs> the insulation tying together, in a knot. like tying a, a bow. Yeah. So these communities are without power for the most part. Um, so we had to figure out a way to use um, to use pumps to get water to the surface. Uh, one popular method in the developing world is um, to use uh, hand pumps. Um, the India Mark II pump is a popular um, pump of this type, but our wells in Cameroon are actually too deep to use this kind of uh, pump because the water table is so low. Um, So what we had to do was use uh, solar panels, as I said before. Um, And these solar panels are panels that we have found in Cameroon and uh, elsewhere in Africa that the community, if they need to, can replace them. Uh, They have a lifetime of about 40 years, um, estimated in our design. Um, So they should last for a long time. But one of the things that we have done on this last trip in January was to provide the community with a manual that tells them everything they could ever need to know about this project, including 
where to buy things. Uh, for example, the solar panels, where they should order more solar panels if one breaks, where they should order pumps and things like that. And so um, these materials are, are all things that they can get in Africa, sometimes not so cheaply. Um, solar panels is a big example. That's a hefty investment, but it is one that the community has made um, as required by uh, EWB USA. They, uh, the national organization actually says that the community has to have a major uh, economic involvement in the project. And that helps build the sustainability of these projects by involving the community throughout the entire process. They really gain ownership of the whatever the project is. So specifically in Cameroon, we have water committees that are in charge of sections of the system, and those are made up by m- members of the community who are elected to that position, and they're in charge of caring for that section of the system. So there is a, a good structure that we've implemented in Cameroon to build that ownership of the system to ensure that it lasts for decades. And that is also something we considered in our design, choosing components that would last and providing that knowledge so that if things break down or need maintenance over time, that the community is able to do that to keep the system running for years and years to come. Erica, did you feel confident that the people were going to be able to maintain the system when when you all left? I definitely think the community will be able to maintain the system. One of the major aspects of the January 2013 trip was to train the community and teach them how to fix things. We had um, a local plumber and an electrician who were with us for a large majority of the trip, and they were very useful. They knew how to do things that we didn't even know how to do and to fix. So they all know how to take care of the system. They know who to go to in order to get major repairs that they aren't able to do. So I definitely think the system will be maintained for a very long time. I'm just curious, what language did you write this manual in? Uh, Well, we wrote it in English, but we're currently translating it to French for them since they speak French over there. This is, you know, hearing this, we got mechanical engineers and chemical engineers sitting opposite me. And so far they've been talking about economic development, changes in the politics of the society, improved health in the society, and now it turns out they also have to be multilingual. (laughs) That is very helpful. (laughs) Yeah, Engineers Without Borders teaches you how to function as an entire person, and we, we do this work to improve the entire person's life, not just one aspect. But these projects really do affect every piece of the societies, of the communities we are involved in, and as a result, that has a huge impact on us as well and teaching us new things and learning how to function in those situations. Mike, tell us about the your favorite person you met overseas in, on, in Cameroon. I think my favorite person on this last trip was actually our driver um, named Felix, and he was just an awesome guy. Um, he was really fun to be around, really funny, great taste in music, and uh, <laughs> there was actually a time during our last trip um, when... Uh, we were all uh, working at the Bakong 2 uh, well site. Felix was jamming out to some music in his car, and a uh, good song came on, and he just kind of hopped out of his car. And uh, he and Ramsey, one of the other uh, graduate students on our trip, uh, just started dancing together just in the middle of the road to this music. And it was just kind of a, a great scene, just something that was awesome to see. Erica, what about you? Did you have any special memories from, from your trips to Cameroon? Oh, there's so many special memories. Uh, Just seeing the kids using the water system, I think, is one of the biggest things. Uh, We installed new push taps this year, this past January, and 
these little right after we put in the first push tap, these really, really little kids, too young to be in school, came up and they were a little confused at first and we showed them how they worked and they were just so cute, like pushing the push tap. So it's easy enough to use, you just push, you just push and water it. comes out. Exactly. Dara, what about you? Any any special friends you made while you were in Guatemala? Well, we made a lot of special friends because we lived there for a month in January of 2012. Um, so it was really nice going back in January of 2013 and really seeing them and interacting with them in more of like a personal level because back then in 2012, we were just working every day. So we didn't get to really get to know them. Um, but we made a couple friends along with the whole community. Um, we met a lot of the community members while we were working. So we became really close with them. But I think a couple of the people that really stand out are our friend Ernesto, who actually doesn't live in the village. He lives in the city next to the village, which is Malacatan, and he owns a hotel. But we just happened to randomly run into his hotel, Go went there for the first um, like lunch that we had that first Sunday in 2012, and he made us a home-cooked meal. And we did not expect that at all. He cooked everything from scratch. Um, and all of a sudden, we were, like, trying to speak Spanish to him for, like, a good two hours. And then he looks at it, he's like, he looks at us and he's like, you know I know English, right? And we just <laughs> lo- Well, my Spanish isn't that great. Um, but uh, Dr. Vanessa, who is um, one of the professors that was a key player in our project, um, was down with us as well. And she knows pretty good, pretty well Spanish, good Spanish, I guess. Um, and she was talking to him, and it was just really funny that he knew English and Spanish. He's actually half German and half Spanish, which is, you never, you don't really find that often. Um, but he's a great friend of ours. He really helped us throughout the whole project. We went back this year and stayed at his hotel um, for the week, and he cooked us homemade meals, and we laughed and had fun. Um, so he's a great person. Um, We'll still be friends forever, I guess. I don't know. Now, the three of you who are juniors, what's next for Engineers Without Borders chapter here at the University of Delaware? You've completed the Guatemala project, and you've now completed the Cameroon project. What projects are coming up next? This is a very exciting time for Engineers Without Borders at UD. Um, We've actually decided not to return to Cameroon because of how successful the most recent trip was. So uh, we'll be sending them the translated a maintenance manual into French so that they'll have both English and French uh, soon. And then our next steps are involved with closing out the projects within EWBUSA. So we're going to have to provide proof that our systems are functioning, that they've affected the community in a positive way, and prove to EWBUSA that we've made a difference in these communities. And then next, we've actually been working the past semester and a half to search out for a new project that we're hoping to unveil at our annual benefit dinner this coming April of 2013. Um, We're currently looking at several projects in Africa, one in Kenya and one in Malawi. And if you go to the Campus Voices website, www.udl.edu slash campusvoices, you can find the link to both the National Engineers Without Borders site and also to the University of Delaware site. And, John, if they go to the University of Delaware site, can they support your efforts? Yes, they most certainly can. We cannot express our gratitude enough for the people who support our organization financially because as a student chapter, we rely exclusively on donations and our fundraising to enable us to perform these projects. And international travel becomes expensive, so it's only through faithful support of our of our donors that we're that we can function the way we do. And so if you go to the website, there is a way to donate through uh, the University of Delaware Office of Development. It is tax deductible. Thank you very much, Dara and John.
and Mike and Erica, four outstanding members of the University of Delaware's Engineers Without Borders chapter. Thanks for listening to Campus Voices, a collaboration between WVUD, the broadcast voice of the University of Delaware, and UD Information Technologies. The views expressed on this program are those of the individual guests and do not necessarily reflect the official views or policies of WVUD, UD Information Technologies, or the University of Delaware. For more information about Campus Voices and to find archive copies of this and other episodes, visit our website. Using all lowercase letters, go to www.udel.edu slash campusvoices. We invite you to tune in every Thursday morning at 8.30 for Campus Voices on 91.3 FM, WVUD, and WVUD HD1, Newark, or online at wvud.org.